I can sell more than we can deliver. Where's the constraint? The constraint is it's not cookie cutter across the board, you know? If you redirect your own mindset, you can have your cake and eat it too if you do it right. Why don't you control the product? Why go this traditional agency route? Like if you're that good at all this stuff, why don't you just control the entire life cycle of it? I'm with you, man. It's super entertaining. Now you're reading, uh, reading my mind. That'd be great. We just gave you a, a treasure trove, man. It's, it's the uh, proverbial drink from a fire hose, right? Welcome to the Optimize Podcast, the only show that solves business challenges in real time. Join Nick Sonnenberg, a world-leading operational efficiency expert and marketing legend, Jay Abraham. Sit in on a new kind of conversation designed to help us answer the most difficult question of all. What am I not seeing? In this episode... We're going to find out how a company that creates follow-up sequences for Amazon sellers can fulfill their exit strategy and become irresistible to prospective buyers. Sean Hart is the co-founder of Post Purchase Pro, a company that helps optimize the customer base of Amazon sellers. He's now looking to sell his business for at least 12x EBITDA. Sean is seeking Jay and Nick's expertise to help make his company as attractive as possible by learning how to streamline his service so he can support a currently unsustainable client growth rate. And before we get onto the show, if you'd like to get into the hot seat, just head to theoptimizedpodcast.com and apply today. Welcome back to the Optimized Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sonnenberg, and I am joined by the one and only Jay Abraham. Say hi, Jay. I was waving, but nobody sees me. Hi. (laughs) We're joined today with Sean Hart. We met at Joe Polish's Genius Network annual event, didn't we, Sean? We did. All right. And Sean has a company called Post Purchase Pro, which is an Amazon agency that we'll talk about. And Sean, just to give you a little bit of context, this is not a typical format of a podcast. So we're really here. You know, we read your intake. We see, we know. What are some of the pain points that you put in there around hiring a management team, some retention stuff, getting set up for exit, so on and so forth. So our goal is to help give you one or two big ideas to that address those things. But ultimately, we just want to add value that's going to help you grow, grow your business and uh, hopefully come up with some out-of-the-box thinking. And we do that in an interesting way, which is we basically just fire hose you with questions. and. We're ultimately just trying in a short period of time to get to the root of some problem that's going to help unstuck you. So don't be alarmed if there's a lot of questions. And if we cut you off, it's really just to help you and make sure that we're getting the information that we need. Yeah. So to kick things off, tell us a little bit about what your business is, how you make money, how you get customers. And then that usually is a good springboard. Sure. So uh, basically, I I grew up in uh, direct response marketing. Uh, Jay happened to be uh, one of the guys that I followed for years, and I built several physical products brands. Most recently, Nick, leveraging the Amazon platform as a third-party seller. You know, when I started uh, with Amazon, it was about two years after uh, a large exit, large for me anyway. I was in my late 30s, and uh, I decided that Amazon was kind of lowering or leveling the playing field for physical product launches. You know. Basically, they took all the headache out of the business, you know, for distribution, customer service, you know, uh, transactions, reverse returns, things like that. So in uh, 2014, I started mentoring a young guy who worked in my marketing company when he was in college as an intern. And we, in uh, January 2014, started launching products, leveraging the Amazon platform. And uh, that year, we launched 351 products. And what, yeah, we had a pretty good team and was pretty well funded from my previous business. But what I found out, Jay, and and you probably uh, already know this, is that my previous business, who put a tremendous amount of effort into back-end, you know, post-purchase marketing, customer follow-ups, I was able to segue perfectly into Amazon. And when I started launching products on Amazon using the same secrets that we use for our back-end and our direct response business, we started growing faster and more profitably than all of my peers. So ever, ever since my second exit in 2011, I decided I'm never going to start another business without the exit in mind, because to me, it's almost an addiction. So we started out launching products with the sole purpose 
of growing that product to what we would consider a mature level where we're not seeing easy, low-hanging fruit when it comes to uh, growth. And then we would exit those brands. Well, after exiting a dozen of those brands or so, I started to realize that I was getting a higher multiple when we sold than a lot of my peers. And when I really dug into it with one of the um, acquirers, they were giving a lot of value to the fact that we had a customer list and not only a customer list, the customer list that was engaged that we could directly allocate repeat purchases to. You also market other products that they didn't buy. Like once you start building up a list for product A, product B can leverage that list? Of course. So we were building out a brand along a particular customer journey, like through fitness or, you know, rearing children or something like that. And so basically we would have the next three, four, five products in the pipeline based on launching what we call a gateway product, you know, something that's low hurdle so that we could build a list. For example, one of the brands we sold was a was an original bamboo pillow. It was like a product that was being pitched in in mall kiosk and infomercials all over. We took it to Amazon in a big way, but instead of jumping in with that high, you know, high MOQ, uh, high barrier to entry product, we we launched a sleep mask first, which was a simple cut and sew product that we we sold for five ninety nine. We did about two hundred fifty thousand transactions captured around 20% of those customer contacts, about 50,000 customers, you know, which had already digitally identified as being sleep product buyers. And then we'd launch our other products. So we always had the pipeline full along that a particular customer journey. Fast forward to uh, the COVID pandemic in 2020, I exited my last brand, my physical products brand in April of 2020. Really good timing, small exit. It was like 400K, I think, or 450. What was it? What kind of product? It was a weighted hula hoop that uh, you would use for exercise. So, okay. you know, yep, fun exercise, but they added some weight to it. It's called Dynamus. You can look it up, still on Amazon. But anyway, we exited that brand in April of 2020. And as you know, we were all living in a different world at the time. So I found myself traveling cross country. Um, I've been known to full-time RV once in a while or live on a boat. Right now I'm in my Florida home out here on Port Charlotte uh, or Charlotte Harbor, rather. But I was traveling with my wife and three youngest children. We were homeschooling. And my business partner, the kid that I was mentoring, you know, long ago, he calls me and he says, hey, got a question for you. What was your favorite part of growing all these brands and selling them? And I said, the marketing, of course. And he said, so if you could spend the rest of your life, hypothetically, uh, working on uh, launching physical products, what could you spend every day on and lose track of time? And I said, building funnels, you know, and, and marketing funnels. He says, exactly. So would you believe, well, first he asked me, tricks me, of course, you know, smart guy, he paints me in a corner, Jay, he says, he goes, all right, and you met him, Nick, at, at uh, you know, Sasquatch looking guy I was hanging out with at, at Genius. Anyway, he's like, so what do you think, Sean, what percentage of our sales, and this is like, you know, he's a finance guy and accounting, so he's all technical about this. He said, what percentage of our sales do you think came from our follow-up sequences, all the marketing funnels that I created? So I don't know, 10%. So he shows me figures and proves that 41%, 41 cents of every dollar that we sold, which is about 153 million, came from directly from our follow-up email and SMS sequences. So I said, wow, that's, you know, that accounts to like $62 million. Is this over like 10 years in the 350 products or? This was about a little over a thousand products and probably... About four and a half years, the majority of it was. In four and a half years, you guys sold 150 million in product? Well, only on Amazon, yes. But for that particular channel, which you guys may know this or not, but Amazon builds a wall between the buyer and seller, right? I was going to ask you, let me interrupt. How do you even get access to the name? I'll trade you, Jay, for the Colonel's secret recipe. <laughs> that's, a, that's a trade secret. <laughs> It must have like a postcard that put, you put in the box that has. We have some multiple. Uh, we have multiple marketing pieces that capture customer, and some of it digital. Um, but we can talk about that when we're not recording. I'll be happy to share with you guys. Yeah, sure. Sounds interesting. All right, but you can't. But you know how to get some large segment of the buyers that no one else can, and then you know what to do to monetize it. About eighty-five percent. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, and you, if, if, if anyone, Jay, you know what the value of a customer list is. So I've been a huge advocate of building your own 
a traffic channel. So if you own and control a portion of that traffic, then you can monetize that and create sales at will, which helps rank and all kinds of other stuff. Short story long, guys, Seth says, I'll tell you what we should do. Let's create an agency because we'd, we'd build an agency and sold it before, but it was more of a consulting and a training, sort of a mastermind. Okay. And he said, let's build an agency and we'll take everything that we love about the business, leave all that we hate, and let's do that as a service. I said, well, that sounds interesting. I'm homeschooling three children. I'm on the West Coast heading up to Alaska. I said, call about, you know, call around and, and, and fill these guys out. If you can find me 10 people that will say yes, then I'll uh, talk more seriously about it. And this was middle midweek. Well, Monday morning, he calls me as I'm in like Utah or something. And he says, hey, I talked to 12 of our clients from our old business. 10 of them said, yes, let's go. And uh, so we launched at $400 per month, 12-month contract. And and uh, we launched in, in January of 2021. Okay. And then we've been growing that business. So when I started, I said, look, this is what I'll do. You know, I'm 14 years your senior. This guy's young. You know, I said, here's what I'll do. I'll sign up for 1,000 clients. You know, we did the quick math, how much we wanted to earn. So we'll do 1,000 clients, paying clients on monthly recurring or three years, whichever comes first. So as you know, three years is right around the corner. We're sitting at about 700 plus. We're churning like two to 3% a month. And so, you know, there's there are a lot of things that you guys, I think, are going to help me with. But that's sort of an overall picture of where we're at. Yeah. Are you still at a flat fee or do you have upside? We have a lot of upside. Right now, we're doing it at, at about a thousand bucks a month. Are there a lot of other, you don't have to name who they are, but are there a lot of other people doing variations of it? Zero. Blue ocean, man. Okay. And if that's the case, what's the difficulty in turning... 700 into 7,000. What's what's the resistance that people have in not using you? Okay, great question. So number one, when we first started out, Jay, we were attracting everyone. So I would take anyone who could fog glass, you qualify. So we were signing up and onboarding people who really couldn't justify the service because the marketing was so good. So we had to fire a bunch of those guys in the beginning once we got our, our legs under us. And then um, just completely transparent, we were having trouble building the infrastructure to support the growth. So let me ask you this. Do you use variations of, I'm going to use a, a very polite and a very respectful of proprietary donuts that get modified or is every is every campaign or client, uh, do you create separate original uh, marketing for them? So a little bit of both. First of all, everything we do is done by hand. We're not using AI for anything. We actually have about 30 people on staff that are writing copy, creating funnels, writing landing pages. But once we reach like economies of scale, there are only so many categories on Amazon, right? So if you come into our program and you're selling pet products, I probably already have two dozen people we've already optimized for. So I take what's already working and I can apply that directly and start seeing uh, wins for you very early. But everything is custom. Yeah. But obviously, if somebody leaves, you've got you've, you've got uh, all things, the things you built out that can translate too. So where do you, I mean, if, of all the categories, and again, I'm trying to respect uh, your confidence, but where's the biggest sleeper for you categorically if, if there's a category you don't really dominate? Well, there are two. Uh, nutraceuticals, supplements. You know, we used to call them nutraceuticals in the old days. Um, but supplements are big and because obviously it's consumable. I think one of the biggest pockets that I would like to be able to tap and have failed are agencies. So there are agencies in our industry who completely manage the entire Amazon experience for brands. And so agencies will come to us and they'll say, hey, um, we have an agency. I have 200 clients. What if we use your service across the board? And Jay, I'm ashamed to tell you, my friend, I have not been able to convert these agencies. It's maybe I have bad breath, but, you know, of course, I can make all kinds of excuses. But I can tell you that the agencies want to micromanage and touch every single piece. Are their clients large clients or they go across the board? Across the board. Um, in fact, that's one of the best business models in our industry is, is agencies. And we need direct access to the brand owner so we can make decisions and optimize on the fly. And the brand, the managers... I mean, I'm sorry, the agencies are just getting in the way of that relationship. 
So how big are some of these agencies? Are they huge? Or are they oh, not? They have, I mean, we have an agency now that is looking at acquiring us because of obvious synergies, but they have like over a thousand Amazon accounts. I mean, they're wow. two, I think $200 million a year business or so. How do you, how do you charge when someone, when it's an agency and they've got a thousand? We don't discount what we do. They have to mark it up? No. Um, what we try to do is we have a, a, a referral or an affiliate fee built in. And so uh, most of the agencies, they refuse to make affiliate commissions, obviously, from their own clients. But we'll say, hey, look, it's already an imputed cost. Let's just discount, you know, maybe get them their first month free or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, so let me ask you this weird question. Why wouldn't you reverse it and buy some agencies so that you'd have captive hold on the clients? Yeah, that, that, that could be a, a viable solution. I'm, I'm all about uh, bootstrapping, even though we're super profitable right now. Uh, I've never gone to any outside funding and some of these well, agencies. You might have to if you've got, I mean, it, what do these agencies normally make on their clients? How do they charge? They're charging a flat monthly fee plus a percentage of sales. And what would it I mean? It's going to be all over because of size. What do they charge? Um, I would say like the big professional agencies, they won't even look at someone that's not doing 50 million a year in, in sales. Yeah. What is your average client size? Our average client size, the last time we measured was 2.2 per year in, in top line revenue. Okay. So it begs, are there smaller ones or you got a year before the, the clock ticks or you've got days, depends on, on how you calculate, but it would seem like you could either start an agency just to do that and, and compete below them if the back end is what you want, it's really what you sell. And then secondly, you could probably buy agencies that were smaller and use some of Roland's methodology and and literally use a Roland Fraser methodology and and not really have to reach out of pocket, particularly if you don't care about the front end and the back end is your big play. And then in doing so, you might actually be able to find with the portfolio businesses you can pluck out of it that you could actually buy and flip yourself. Could be pretty interesting, John. It really, really could. So as far as the the finances go, when we set out at a $400 price point, we needed 1,000 clients to, to, to create a business that would have the valuation that would make it interesting. So we're already there monetarily, even though we only have like 700 and something, but we've had- You got the revenue and the profitability and, and the multiples. So if that's the case, and I mean this respectfully, where's the big challenge opportunity or new goal. It's a game, Jay, for me to get the maximum valuation. So I'm trying to stack the cards in our favor as we go into an exit. I want to see hyper growth. So, but we are entertaining two buyers right now. Yeah. Okay. But if if you say that one way, you know, at where you're at, it's X. But if you had a zero on the end of the of the clientele, if you could service them, it would be absolutely. Cards, and that might be the last exit you do, and then you could basically. Sp- sit on uh, on your boat you know forever it might be interesting to look at either the service provider the agencies you're talking about or any other non-competitive provider of that audience that you could get not not a referral fee arrangement but just buy them outright or start one under market one of the things and and you just nailed it when you were talking about the uh, face max I don't do Amazon sellers, but at some of our expensive events, you'll get some. And my whole recommendation is, why don't you figure out, just look, it says people who buy this, buy that. Figure what the that is and sell the that under the this. And now you got access to the audience. If you said- Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're that, saying just like the sleep mask was the gateway to the pillow, maybe the agency is the gateway to the end here. Yeah, but oh, there's one more- denominator and that is it not being unethical but if you had control of a lot of of clients you could pluck the ones that were so underutilized that you said I don't want to get I don't want to make you know a grand a month for you I want to make basically 10 million dollars from you I want to buy you or I'm going to partner with you or whatever you've got the best of all worlds if you're if you're acquiring four or five of them and now you got a whole nother layer and then you could see any other service that either exists or could be. I mean, I would, it, with your innovative thinking, I would just take the same methodology that you're selling and apply it to yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about problem number two then. 
Okay. Because in the, on the sales machine, we have a, a well-oiled machine. I can, I mean, we're onboarding 100 new clients in the last 30 days. But every time we have this rapid growth, we have to stop and fix all the problems in our staff. So what is the correlation staff to clients? About 32 to 700. Okay. So if right now it's 32 to 700, which is about one to 20, right? Sounds like a, a, a good a good private school. So if that's the case and you could grow another 700, does that mean you'd need another 32? And if the answer is yes, what skill sets do they need to come with or be trained with? Gosh, it's, it's, this is fun because you're helping me shed light on things I need to be thinking about. We have all of the SOPs written. Like we can just plug someone in and it's step one, step two, step three for delivery. But here's the problem. With, uh, as you know, you've done this your entire career. The marketing is being measured by us and by the client through allocation or attribution links and whatnot. So let's say we have this product. It's, it's a claw hammer and we have a toilet seat for another client, you know, just making stuff up. One of these is going to produce three to one return on their marketing dollar. And the other one is maybe negative. So what we, what we find ourselves doing is going back to the clients that we're not producing good results in and then revamping all of their all of their uh, email sequences, their landing pages, and optimizing all over again. So we're okay. kind of like chasing our tails yeah. sometimes. But but don't you have enough historic reference that you know already historically that certain things are going to monetize better on average? We do. We do. Yeah. I mean, I would think that, Jesus, if... It, it, when I used to, and, and I actually regret this, Sean and, and Nick, when I was younger, probably before you ever met me, Sean, I was very big in the newsletter business. I had 40 or 50 of the newsletters. Agora had one newsletter at the time. Mark Ford was a an intern. He was an intern. He was a, a, a protege of a partner of mine. So it was very early in. And I would propose all these ways to monetize the back end and half these newsletter editors and publishers were not great marketing strategists and they would equivocate. And I'd say, great, I'll take it over and I'll give you the inverse. I'll give you 20%. And I made millions and millions of dollars by just taking over what they didn't have the wherewithal to do. And sometimes I made deals where I'd create new businesses that were offshoots of them and I'd own them. Sort of had fun. I mean, it sounds like you, I mean, if you know how to take a a $2 million revenue business and add maybe not double the revenue, but double or triple the profitability and it's sustainable. I mean, let me ask you this because I don't understand Amazon sellers. What's the normal, I know there's no thing as normality, but what would you think the average uh, life expectancy of, of a, an Amazon seller with, with their current product mix? They, they constantly have to come up with new ones. Um, for us, that was the easiest way to grow was to come up with new ones because that was that came easy for me. I was really big on sourcing overseas. Okay. Uh, but all, the most successful sellers, you know, I'm ashamed to admit, are the ones that stick in their lane and they just completely dominate a category. Yeah, I mean, we had one one time and they were they were selling pet food for uh, I want to call them rodents. They aren't rodents, but rabbits and <laughs> and and guinea, guinea pigs, and they were doing. Enormous. They're doing like $20 million on Amazon. And they would just, and the only problem is Amazon was charging with all their fees 30 or 40% by the time it was done and they had no control. But a company like that, if you could figure the back end, but yeah, I would it's think. It's a huge opportunity. I mean, we have a client that sells umbrellas and does $120 million a year in umbrellas on Amazon. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the traffic's I mean, just phenomenal. And do you, when, when you're helping a client, on the back end, retention and repurchase and cross-purchase, are you basically only dealing with their current product mix or are you recommending and even sourcing products and taking pieces or both? Like here's the entire mantra. You focus on front-end sales on Amazon. My job is to make all your customers more valuable. So we do that several ways. Like we're, we're pretty creative. We have something called Audience Alliance where we can take non-competing clients and I'll promote your product to my list, and then you promote my product to your list. So you do you do a very sophisticated and a very very unique affiliate, in, but it's a two way valve. Is that correct? It is. It is. But of course, it's done for you. Of course, 
my account manager takes care of your promotion. Do you do it with your own clients or do you do it with other clients outside, either or, or mostly just captive? Only our paid clients have access to this program. But it works, right? Oh, it works. Yeah, obviously. Well, why, wouldn't that be, why wouldn't that be another service that you would offer? We could charge for it, Jay. But when I started, I started using it as a bonus to help me close deals because we sell via webinar. Like I'll do live events. Like, for example, here's a quick idea of the funnel. I know you'll see some value. So last week I'm in Austin, Texas, SellerCon. I have a 25 minute presentation. We have about 1200 people in the audience. I do my presentation. I do a quick lead capture. I mean, they don't really allow this, but I'm sort of sneaky about it. I got about 72 people sign up for a follow-up webinar, which I delivered this Tuesday, a couple of days ago, and 50 of them show up live. 22, we closed live 44% conversion rate. That's our $1,000 for $1,000 a month. Seven. It's a, it cost them um, to join us on that call was $597. Um, the average uh, cart on that deal, I think, was seventy two hundred after the upsells. Wow! Is there a, is there a setup fee? Well, we don't call it that, but you can say that. Okay, but so, but but let me go back to the question: When you, as a as, as a gratis service, engineer these these dual valve affiliates, is the yield that comes out of it significant or just nominal? It, it is significant. You know, some products are better than others, of course. And, you know, that there's the problem. You know, when when if you just take my word for it, yeah, it works. But here's the thing. What if you had a whole nother division to your agency and instead of being benevolent and magnanimous, that was I mean, I've thought many because I've done so much. We've done billions of dollars for clients and my colleagues have done billions over the years in strategic alliances, joint ventures, endorsement, recommended provider, co-branding. And I thought many times I just don't have infrastructure anymore of creating a service that got a nominal fee for representing them against a very significant percentage of the revenue that occurred from structuring it ongoing. And it was permanent unless they bought it out. I would think that would be another service that would be killer profitable for you if you got a fee against. Yeah, Um, there are definitely many different directions we can go, but I'm trying to just stay laser focused. I didn't really want to be working this hard. Now, although I'm having the time of my life, I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I'll be uh, I'll be 48 years old in two weeks. Yeah, you're young though. (laughs) Well, compared to you, but not compared to Nick. (laughs) So here's here's I'm 53. I just drink good water. Are you joking? I thought you were like 40. (laughs) Nick Nick is. He's just screwing with you. But here's the thing that I'll turn over to Nick is if your whole model is understanding and optimizing and innovating the back end, you're not doing it with your business model. You are very fanatically focused. But what if the same relationships or the same skill sets could be could add another? I mean, it doesn't have to add the same revenue. It could double or triple the profit. Which, if it was ongoing, now you've increased, you know, your exit value by a huge amount, Sean. Okay, like for example, doing like we have a, a mastermind that we we have a paid mastermind. Um, we also do a live events. But what if you had? What if you had a? a gratis mastermind, which was an entry level that you converted to, and you didn't care about it being a moneymaker. You cared about it attracting all kinds of Amazon sellers that you could then back in and then you could go, I mean, boy, I would just think with your knowledge base, if you turned, if you turned the mirror on yourself, you probably have a lot of stuff you're not seeing. Yeah, probably. So, so as a, that'd be like a top of funnel sort of traffic source. Could uh, be a gratis mastermind that attracts our best clients, and then we convert them later. Could be well. I mean, it would attract it would attract all kinds of people depending on on all the service. If you only have the one service, and you say, well, a lot of people can't benefit from it because, uh, it, but but a lot of them could benefit from other services you could create as a response to that kind of an influx. I mean, what? But I've always found just me, Sean, but that if your model is rigid, then you have to reject a lot of opportunities that could monetize for other services. And sometimes the reclamation of that is where the opportunity lies. Sometimes 
at the things that you can't, the people you can't service for your current model, but you get them could be very profitable for something related. And that would maybe give you even more diversity for your main business. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like it's an application of what you have taught and and learned. Anyhow, if 40% of your revenue historically on 150 million came from that, that you, mo- you measured came from back end. And that is not necessarily 40% of the profit. It might be 80% of the profit. If you exactly. had other back ends, it would seem like if you're selling it at a multiple of its, its predictable income, not just revenue, unless it's a strategic play and nobody cares about profitability, I would just look at it a little different if I were you, but I'm dominating. Nick, go ahead and take over. So why did you decide to charge a thousand a month versus taking a percentage of performance? Like it sounds like you're able, sounds like you're able to clearly track your impact. You said just on your internal side, you were able to tell that it was 41% came from your follow-up strategy. I'm guessing you, you're able to track that for your clients. Yeah. Of course. Yes. Everything has uh, what's called attribution lengths. I, I guess you must have thought a lot about this. I'm just curious, why did you land on just a flat fee versus saying, look, we take 50% of our performance, which is just free money in their pocket. No, re- What happened when you we, tried that? We tried the whole Dan Kennedy thing. If I make you a dollar, would you give me a quarter? So we did, when I first tried it, we did it for, uh, it was 400, or actually I, tried, I did $1,000 per month plus 15% of the growth okay. only on sellers who qualified. Yeah. I only tried it a couple of times on a small audience and it just didn't really convert that well. And so I'm thinking to myself, guys, I have blinders on, like I'm only want to focus on the things that make my boat go faster. But I mean, there's different things that make a boat go faster. You could put a spoiler on it. You could put weight in a different part. You could, you could change the configuration of the engines. You could change, <laughs> you could put uh, silicon on the, on the hull. There's a lot of shit you could do. I mean, another way you could do it too, is you could have like a, tiered recurring rep, instead of doing a percentage, you could say, look, if if we're managing a hundred million for you, we charge five thousand a month recurring. If it's fifty million, so you could also just tier your recurring. But you know, when we try to do a custom solution, I always end up stepping on myself because there's so much content out there where we're pitching our, our sales. So you come in, Nick, and I'm like, okay, let's give you a custom um, quote or whatever. And I come back and say We'll handle all this for you for $4,800 per month. Jay comes in, it's $1,200 per month. But then we have 500 people paying $700 per month and they meet each other. I mean, if you say that you have a, you have a precedent that 40% of revenue and who knows how much profit came from back end and you say it's working and you're only doing it as a, as a value-based a service, uh, it makes to me, if that might be very, very profitable. Why would you not say either I'll do it for X against or I'll do it and I'll waive this as long as I get yeah. a minimum of five thousand. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I would charge X percent with a minimum of a thousand. And um that's what the agencies are doing that are managing accounts. They're they're getting a minimum per month plus a percentage of sales. But re, I don't know if I, I told you this part, but the the attribution has to be reported from the seller to us. We can't track our results. We have to get the results from the seller from the back end of their what, Amazon. What if you did this, though, Sean? We're, we're, we're taking you way out into not left field, but to another, it's like another dimension. It sounds like the Twilight Zone. Uh, but, <laughs> I'm but all ears. What, what if instead you went to people that didn't want to do it because they didn't believe it? You said, well, just buy the rights. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll basically... We'll have joint tenancy of the names. We won't use it for anything competitive. We'll we'll just use it for ancillary. We'll give you a share of the revenue. That's very interesting. So more like a licensing play. Well, yeah. Why, why don't you, you why don't you control the product? Like why what why why go this traditional agency route? Like if you're that good at at all this stuff, why don't you just control the the entire life cycle of it? Okay, so we thought about this on the other side. We just launched a program that that appeals to those who can't afford us or those that we don't want to work with because they're too small. Um, so it's called our it's our foundations model. Where basically it's a you do it yourself. We just give you all the tools that you need. Like yeah. and it's you know it's like two ninety seven per month. We just launched it, but we haven't really thought about a like an enterprise level. Like here, let's give you the the tools 
and then you pay us a licensing fee. That's very interesting, actually. You had started off and you had hundreds of products that you fully owned and then you owned the marketing of it, right? How did that compare in profitability to kind of the model that you currently have? Where now you're getting a thousand bucks or five hundred bucks a month recurring and it's an agency? Um, you know, each each brand was a little different, but the most important thing to me right now is I'm doing what I love to do and I'm not looking for any extra work. <laughs> um so yeah, the, the 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 physical product distribution and resale, that was just a nightmare. Especially like when I first talked to Jay back in 2010, 11, I mean, I had a 90,000 square foot warehouse and 140 employees and we had to ship all of our own orders. Are you virtual now? 100% virtual, yes. I'm, I'm actually talking to you guys on my portable studio here. It folds up into a carry-on. <laughs> so it was a pain in the ass when you owned fully Kind of the the end to end huge of it. pain in the ass. Plus, someone else was in control. Nick, right. Amazon controls the traffic. They control the customer journey. They control the order to process. One of the things that you that you put that you said earlier is you had some issues with retention, and that you're a bit over your skis with in, in terms of kind of the foundations. Is that is that right? It's the infrastructure. I can sell more than we can deliver, and you know the worst thing in the world is to put put the sales team in contact with the customer service team, you know, because they're just doing this all day long. And it really negs you out when you hear complaints. So my biggest issue now is this, the delivery team is telling me to pump the brakes on sales and, and marketing because they can't handle what we're bringing to the table. I know it's a good problem to have. Where's the constraint? It's not a cookie cutter delivery across the board. Everything is custom and tracked separately. So wouldn't it be much easier, more simple, and um, you wouldn't have that issue if you had one tenth of the clients, but they all paid you ten times or a hundred times more? Like, how do you get to a point where each client's worth a hundred times more, and you just cut the number of clients by one tenth? That's definitely possible. You know, we definitely have twenty percent of our clients are pr- pr- producing eighty percent of our revenue. But remember, I'm building to exit, so they don't want like a a, a huge concentration a business in one category or one, you know, small group of people. So these guys are looking to absorb us as a, as a strategic partner. Could you chop up though, your agency into a couple other, into a couple of companies, either. I don't know if it's by, by a category on Amazon or you classify between high value and low value somehow, and you just have a different model on the high. But there's definitely, it sounds like if you're only getting $1,000 a month from some people, they're getting a killer deal off of you if you're doing- We still have some people at 400, man. Yeah, like so so there's some clients you're collecting 400 that they'd probably be willing to give you five grand a month or be willing to give you the 400 plus 20% of upside or something. So you're probably way underpricing yourself on the best 20%. Don't we always do that when we launch? (laughs) And I don't know, I'm curious Jay's thoughts, but I would almost either put the bottom 80% into another company uh, or at, at the very least figure out how on that top 20%, you figure out a way to get some percentage of upside and make them feel okay about it because they're used to paying such a discount compared to what they should be paying. Okay. Or let me ask you this, are Amazon sellers a sellable asset? Do people buy your clients or are they not sellable? So I know what you mean. I, I built a medical supply company once and I sold diabetic patients that were worth about $800 a piece. That's a good question. That is, that's a real good question. If you have the ability to create, I mean, within not just your current clients, if you say, hey, this Amazon seller today would sell for X, but if I blow them up, they would sell for 8X. And I could do that within the realm of my, it was an exit in an exit. That would be sort of interesting. So it would be someone who's building the brand on Amazon with the intention of exiting, like I was. Yeah. And then we come in and say, hey, let's make your multiple bigger. We want, by- an, option. We want an option. We want to do this, but we want an option on, on the exit. It's worth this now. If we can make it worth You're making my brain hurt. There's so many ideas. Are you going to send me this recording? <laughs> no, no, we, we, we do a free call, but we charge for the recording if you want to. All right. I'm, watch it. Yeah. Here's my credit card. <laughs> but no, but it's. I just think if you put, if you re, if you redirect your own mindset, you will see that you can have your cake and eat it too if you do it right. Yeah, I, I think you, there's something to be said there uh, for sure, Jay. It's like 
right now my focus is getting to the the finish line and I'm looking for like I'm trying to to dissect this and find a couple of little nuggets to help us get that boost as we get as we're going through due diligence, you know, to kind of make the buyer a little more horny, if you will. Let's talk about the front end and we'll run out of time, but let's talk about front end and back end. Front end to me is generating new clients. Back end is fulfilling them, not changing your model at all. So if tomorrow morning you wanted 700 more clients or you wanted 300 or whatever you wanted, where would you get them? What'd be the fastest, safest way for you to get 300 more quality clients that would add to the value of your portfolio? So we have uh, about 250 partners in the industry because no one competes with us. So we all play well together. Um, Anytime I can get a partner to do a specific promotion of one of our offers, I mean, we can do 40 or 50 new clients for every single call. But the problem is my delivery team can't deliver on the promises that I'm making. We're way behind right now, even on onboarding. Okay, so what does it do? So now we know that the front end is really not a problem. So what does it take to support, expand, train, recruit the back end so that the back end's not a problem? That's what I would like to know. I, I've never been a, a delivery kind of guy. I've never, I've always stayed far away from delivery. And I'm not that strength either, but guess what? Nick is. The quickest way in my mind to, to ease it up is you have raise your prices, have fewer people coming in, and that reduces the pressure on the delivery. No? Here's a pivotal question, Nick, that might be a, 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 an explanation. Is the entity that wants to buy you, do they want to buy you because they are strategic and you have access and they don't really, they're not buying you as much for your current business as they are the access to your clients or do they want it just for business? Well, we're flirting with two different buyers. The most serious is a current agency who serves Amazon sellers. So they see an obvious correlations like, hey, we're going to plug everything you do into our client base and, and we'll make all of our all of your guys let us, you know, they'll, they'll make an offer to manage their business. And did they approach you? Yeah, they approached us. And so have you played them against a lot of other agencies? We have not. Um, it's one of those friendly deals where I was friends with one of the co-founders and one day we were talking and he was like, so you guys are building this to sell. We need to talk, you know, and I said, oh, well, yeah. And, and and how are they valuing? Is it a multiple of EBITDA or is it a multiple of recurring revenue or is it something, you know, calculation? Projected 12 months. It's a projected revenue. Yep. Projected EBITDA or, or recurring revenue or what is it? It's uh, that's a good question. I'd have to look back through my string, um, but we're talking about. I think it's EBITDA based on, you know, the growth model. And then we keep beating our projections, which looks good. And um, I mean, and- what's the duration of a client? If you're losing 2% a month, which is not a lot, and you're losing basically, you're losing 25% a year. Are you bringing in more than that? Absolutely. I mean, look, we're only two and a half years into this, guys. So our, our other buyer is just home office looking to buy revenue. They love the monthly recurring revenue model. They love the contractual obligation and the fact that there's no one else in the space. And so if you're losing 25% a year, that would presuppose what would be lifetime value, Nick? Would it be three years, four years? What would it be from that model if that's true? I'm not well, saying I can it's tell true. you the first year, our average was seven months that we would keep someone on board. And is that because you were figuring out the model and you had you had some issues? We were attracting the wrong yeah. the wrong okay. clients. So people stay yeah, like what, four years on average? Yeah. This is year three. What are you what are you averaging now in the last year? I, I would be lying if I said I don't even know. At the end of the day, if you give me a dollar and I give you four dollars in return, why would you ever leave? So well, that's I've done that with a lot of clients because they think they understand it and they want to do it themselves and keep all those dollars. So, <laughs> so the, the things that I hear the most are, hey, you know, we're uh, things are slowing down for us post COVID. We can't afford this. We're just going to take it in house. Uh, we're being acquired by a by an aggregator, and they want to do this themselves, or they don't, they want us to stop all marketing. Or, um, hey, you know, I don't believe in the results because I'm not using attribution links. I just have to take your word for it. Or some of them are like. I don't agree with your marketing. I think it's too aggressive, something like that, you know, but for the most part, most people are happy because they're getting ROI. Here's another idea, Sean, and and I'd love to ask you more questions around the efficiency, but does a sale need to be binary where you sell the entire thing or 
Uh, what's your average? What's the average revenue right now across? You said you have seven hundred. What's the average recurring revenue? Because you you said you raised prices, so you started off at four hundred. Now it's a thousand. Sometimes you have a discount. So when you average it, what's your what's the average uh, revenue per per client? So I'm not too far off, but our uh, our average client historically has been worth about ten thousand in in bottom line profits per client per year. Okay. But I'm just saying in revenue, not in bottom line. What's the what's the average recurring? Is it like we're, let's just make up a number? Last time I checked, we're seventy eight percent profit. But like now you're charging. My point is now you're charging a thousand a month. You started off at four hundred, so you probably raised prices along the way. Say the average is seven fifty or something like that. I don't know. I'm just making it up. Yeah. Oh, that's what you mean. Like okay, so well, do the math. Each client's worth about ten grand per year. We're seventy eight percent profit. Last time we did a report, ten grand a year. So and, and profit and that's seventy eight percent of it makes ten thousand. So what's that make each client? It's twelve grand top line. So yeah, you, you can get an average. Sure, I mean yeah. if you're if making ten that's right. and that's and that's you know about eighty percent. Then what's on so we're twelve thousand plus per, per per client. Thousand dollars, thousand bucks a month. There you go. Suppose you have very few people in the low end, wouldn't it? So we have upsells, obviously. Uh, we have like our platinum program that gives extra benefits. We have. I'm just trying to figure out ways for you to have more capacity to deliver. And I'm just wondering. Thank what- you. We need to come up for air, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to come back to the ranch here. The, we were trying to figure out you have excess demand, then you have capability to deliver. And how do we solve that problem? Right. And so. One way could be maybe there's efficiency issues and process issues and stuff like that, which, by the way, for increasing your valuation, having documented and well, well-defined processes should also increase the multiple that you get. But then two, how do you just have less, less people to service and you put downward pressure on the delivery team and you free up their capacity to okay. take the new clients that are worth more to you, right? So what if you were to take all the lowest recurring revenue clients stick them into some other entity, let's call it, which is going to raise your average, you know, lower the downward pre- lower the pressure on your delivery team, allow you to now onboard all these new clients at a higher average, and then in the short term, you sell that entity where you put your lowest value clients, you just sell that and you have a mini exit on just part of the business to that agency. And like sell off the headache. Yeah, you sell off the headache and I mean I, I'm happy to talk to you about how you could use, you know, all the various tools I talk about in the book and stuff. But if it were me and I'm just trying to, how do you quickly increase your capacity to be able to service higher value people? Well, here's one of the things that we can do. The low hanging fruit would be to, like, like you said, Jay, the same exact donut across the board, you know, copy and paste, use templates. That would make it easier to deliver. The best way to increase our valuation is to add a software component or lower churn. Sure. I mean, those are the two easiest. But but if you take away the stuff that's giving you headache and not um and it's just kind of distracting stuff, you might be able to just get some cash off the table now without really negatively impacting the bigger opportunity that you're trying to sell. And you have a mini exit, and then it gives you a little breathing room to figure out the software play or whatever other play you you need to figure out to get a to get the big pop on on the primary company. So if our goal was 120 million, yeah, um, without let's say it's a a thousand clients at 10, 10 grand profit per year, you want to exit for a 120 million. That's that's what we're asking, um, but that'd be a 12 times multiple. So you're doing right now 10 million of EBITDA. That's what we're pitching. Yes, is 12 a normal multiplier for the type of business? Six to eight is normal, but what we're doing is is a contractual. It's super sticky. It's I mean, we ticked all the boxes when it comes. How do you increase your multiples? The only box that we haven't ticked yet, we're still working on, is adding software. If if it's a you know a software component, now we we can easily get. Have to you 12. thought about Have you thought about and that this is this is out of left field, so this might be a terrible idea, but Hit maybe me. you'll appreciate it. What if you reposition it as a financial service company? You have a credit card with a monthly fee of $1,000 a month, and then this is a perk. Your service is a perk of the credit card. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And what are the benefits uh, to us? Financial service company. Those types of companies have much higher multiples. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> that's very interesting. 
Oh, you know, on this show, we like to come up with, you know, crap from left field. So hey, I'm just, with you, man. That's super entertaining. So the easiest, the easiest way to play this is, is, um, is like I said, software. So think about when we have almost no interaction with our successful clients. They just read the reports and go, okay, this is great. Let's keep moving. Yeah. The other is we kind of have to prod them to use our marketing. You know, if, if we create a product insert that, that makes an amazing offer to generate um, opt-ins and you don't deploy it, you know, but the, the problem with the account managers, they have to call you and push you to get that product insert going. Are you, you, know, are, or, you or, are you using yeah. ChatGPT and AI to help write copy or any other aspects of stuff? No. Well, a lot I of mean, my peers are using that in their in their uh, managing agencies, but no, well, we, we're actually we're actually uh, humans writing copy, you know, based well, on historical results, but, of course. But, but maybe 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 that's something to consider, right? Like I would also analyze all of your processes, document your processes, but then also what steps in the process can you automate or leverage AI? I know that you take pride that you're not using it, but maybe that pride is hurting you. And maybe you could use it as kind of like a first draft assistant and make your staff more efficient. And then also it's part of the the story when you're selling that now they're getting something with systems leveraging automation and artificial intelligence. I like using that, Nick, as part of the story saying, here's an opportunity going forward, Yeah, you know, but not, I don't want to shift gears right now because we're just running full speed, you know, and when I'm looking at a buyer and say, here, here are ways that you can grow and leveraging AI is definitely one of those. I mean, we're 78% profitable. That's unheard of. Oh, but what if you were 85% profitable? Now you're, now you're reading, uh, yeah, reading my mind. That'd be great. So you're saying eliminate some of the some of the the dead weight copywriters and you, and leverage AI to do that or have more success sooner. But it, it's not. It does two things, right? It both helps your gross profit margin. It does three things. It helps your gross profit margin. It might free up their 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 time. So now they have more capacity for the bottleneck for the logjam you have on onboarding people. So you might be able to service more clients at a higher profit margin. And it might increase your multiple closer to that 12 you're targeting because now you have a story around using AI and automation. Where, where do you feel like you're wasting time? For me, it's a constant battle. I'm wasting time waiting on the delivery team to catch up. Okay. You know, when you're bridling your sales department, you know you have an issue, so, right? <laughs> so what's the delivery process? I know, I know that we're getting close to time, but could you maybe just spend three minutes or so and at a high level explain, like if I'm a client, and I want to pay you, pay you, what's the process look like? So basically, uh, we process your card, run you through our upsell process, and then uh, immediately on the confirmation page, you're booking an onboarding call with with your uh, new account manager. Or no, with our onboarding department. So yeah. onboarding department gets you on the phone immediately. They make sure you got all your T's crossed, your I's dotted, your contract yeah. is signed, your agreement, we call it. And how long does that um, take so far? Like up to the that's point. About a, that's about a 30 minute call. Yeah. And then uh, the onboarding department um, softly suggests a few of the upsells that you may have turned down. Then you're introduced to your account manager who does a kickoff call mm-hmm. within two weeks of your uh, of your transaction. Mm-hmm. The kickoff calls to make sure that you have all the components you need and that we totally understand the voice of your brand. Yep. And so that our creative team can yep. and get it right, right out of the box. So just up to that point, obviously, if instead of two weeks, if that were two days, that adds to your EBITDA too, right? It does, brother, but it yep. used to be two months. So two weeks okay. sounds and, like and, music and, to me. <laughs> and so in the, the is it really time intensive, everything that you've just explained? There's a 30-minute phone call. There was another, There's. it sounds like- I mean, try to get people on the phone, Nick. You know, it's like herding cats, man. You know, missed calls and no-shows. You know how it is. I see. And I'm so sure about that you've two weeks is our, our onboarding. And with two weeks, you have your kickoff call. Our team immediately goes to work uh, looking at historical data based around mm-hmm. your category. When, we when, create your monthly, landing page. when do you start charging the thousand a month? Is it after immediately, that kickoff? Immediately. You pay okay. you paid to join and we immediately 30 days. Actually, we bill we bill every 28 days. <laughs> they have incentive to not drag their feet in book because it's already starting to Unless hit it's a damn agency because they'll drag their feet. But yeah, we bill every 28 days. It adds like 8.7% every year. 
Next, next thing is we create your inserts. We, we create your entire funnel, the strategy around your offer. Let's say Jay's selling pizza cutters. Yeah. We may create an offer where um, if you opt in after buying Jay's $10 pizza cutter on Amazon, we'll send you a coupon code for a free Domino's pizza, you know, as an affiliate offer. And then so our opt-ins in that scenario, that's an actual legitimate offer. It's about 88% opt-in. And then we get paid $3 on the back end for, for, from Domino's from the affiliate network. So we create your entire offer. We build your landing page and then we write your what we call your fundamental 14, just to use an alliteration. We'll write your fundamental 14 email sequence to start kicking off and warming up your list as they're opting in. And then after 90 days, you'll have a, a debriefing with your account manager to make sure that everything that we're sending is on on point with your brand, the it's it's your uh, the voice of your brand or any nomenclature in your industry is being uh, taken into consideration. And then we get you to sign off on future creative. From there, we're off to the races. We never hear from you again unless you join us so, on a, on a so client. So the first call. three months is the time intensive part to understand the voice and the funnel, and then after that is really where you make. If they were to draw, if every client. <laughs> If they were to drop off at month three, you're not making really any money, it sounds like, because it right. sounds like it's a significant amount of effort. The, the, first the three work months. is all loaded in the front end. Yes, for sure. And I mean, I'm just trying to, again, think about, okay, so the first three months is is a lot of work. And then after that, it's all gravy. So what is your, you have a blended churn of 2%, but what, on average, how many people stay past the three? What's your drop off at the three month mark? I don't know the answer to that. I think that's an important one to look. It'd be it would be interesting to look at a retention curve and see kind of because we know that your retention on a yearly basis goes to seventy five percent, but it, it it's it's much different story depending on the curvature of that. Right? If you drop it'd down nice to seventy, once, yeah, if you, you might be dropping down to seventy six by month three, and then only losing the additional one percent between months three and twelve, which is totally different. Interesting. That's great. So after we deliver all the digital assets that we created, we, sh we could be seeing a huge drop off right there. Yeah. And what you might want to do is have a separate uh, agency that just does a setup and it's a one-time fee of five grand or four grand or three, whatever it is. And then after, after that, then you stick them into the recurring after you've done all the hard work and they've paid the higher setup fee. I, I actually, I pitched that several times and fell on my face. Maybe it's just me, but I tried instead of saying, Hey, you're a thousand bucks a month. It was, Hey, we're building the system for you for X, and then we'll maintenance it for this. Who owns the creative? The client owns the creative. Why? Uh, well, we own the domain. No, but if you're creating for me, why wouldn't you lease it to me? And and the lease is the $1,000. And if they stop, you get it back. I love you, Jay. That's what Gary Benzavinga used to do. That's what I used to do. I just wrote it down. We just gave you a, a treasure trove, man. <laughs> it's it's the uh, proverbial drink from a fire hose, right? <laughs> it could be a very delicious drink. I mean, very intoxicating. All right, Rick, you want to? What do you think the big ideas were here, Sean? I think, um, although it's super interesting to 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 approach it from the financial model with the credit card, and this is a perk. That's pretty cool and out of the box. Um, not sure if I could package that and sell it to a home office, but I would sure try. the The big idea for me is to is to think outside the box when it comes to our pricing model and how we deliver. And maybe I like what you said, Nick, about separating the two. And the reason I like that, you know, just to be completely candid, is recently I've been testing a, a split page when we bring new traffic into our funnel. I'm having you identify by your revenue and tracking the conversions on higher revenue. And I've found that our sweet spot is 250K per month or more. I can, I can convert a hell of a lot better and deliver a better product. So I like the idea of maybe splitting, say, here are the, the PWMs, as Brother Gary would call them, or over here, you know, and then we get rid of all the, you know, not dead beats, but you know what I mean? The dead weight, the, uh, the guys who are afraid of growth and, uh, or watching every single dollar because they need to see an immediate ROI. I like that. That's probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah, well, good. Well, Because I think also just uh, off of that, I think that in general, people want to have as high of a you know conversion as possible, but sometimes it might be hurting you to have such a high conversion. You might be, you <laughs> might become, you might get more profit by getting more people to say no up front 
Um, right. Because then sure. you, but it sounds like the market's so big that even if you had less people Massive, say yes up front, but each person that says yes is five times bigger, or they're paying 5K initiation or something, and you're just putting a bit more of a barrier, you might I, I just might go that, straight man. to your bottom line. With that. I couldn't, that, that story didn't convert when I tried to you charge. Maybe another way to articulate yeah. it. Well, exactly. You know, I, I think I have to stop, unfortunately, but you're an interesting person, Sean, very deep. But you ought to get, uh, I think the data will give you some insight. But remember one more thing. You built your whole your whole success on understanding all the monetization on the back end. So I mean, it sounds like you have a front, I mean, you have an in, intro, like you upgrade them to a lot of things coming in, but you may be missing a lot of things you could do once you have them as a client. Yeah. And you may be also missing other product service offers you could do if you don't get them as a client in your current model. So think about all that and it'll be interesting to follow up and see uh, what business you're in once you sell this one. Yeah, we'll have you back on uh uh, after you sell it and you can debrief us on how it, how it went. Hey, well, I'm under contract guys. I'm out after three, three years, take it or leave it. <laughs> For what it's worth. It's impressive. Uh, what you've built in a short period of time. All right, Sean. Well, good luck. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show so more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants our challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.